Thanks, Hans, for reading that passage. We just heard God speak to us by his word. So how about we pray and ask him to help us understand what he has to say. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for this time together today. We really ask that as we sit under your word today, uh, that we would listen to you. And that wouldn't just be listening alone, but that would actually flow into action. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you all for a moment to imagine you're at the supermarket. Maybe it's after church, you're grabbing some supplies for lunch, and you're walking around, you're enjoying the supermarket music. It's fantastic, and it's an enjoyable time. And suddenly you bump into someone that you know. This person, they're sort of, they're not one of your closest friends, and they're not a straight acquaintance. They're sort of, they're somewhere in between, that awkward spot. And so you bump into them, you start chatting, how's life, how's, uh, you know, how are the kids, all, all that good stuff, you know, how's work, oh yeah, not too bad, not too bad. You reach the end of the conversation and you reach that kind of awkward, that awkward moment. Oh yeah, um, you, you say to your friend, let's catch up sometime. And then they say, yeah, 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 no, that sounds good, I'll, I'll text you later this week. And you go, oh, okay, sounds great. And so you part ways um, and you walk around the supermarket and you bump into them for a, about another six times in the, in the supermarket awkwardly. <laughs> um, a week goes by and no text comes. The, you're, you're waiting. And as time goes by, you come to realize that what they said, their belief that they wanted to catch up, it wasn't actually real. It was a, kind of a, a fake belief. Well, today... What we're looking at, what James is teaching us today, is that we can actually do the same thing with God. We can say we believe, we can have all the right intentions, but if that faith doesn't flow into works, if it doesn't lead to action, then James says it's actually dead faith. The difference in this case is that in the supermarket, uh, you know, you might lose a friend with, with them. But with God, we actually miss out on an eternity. And so the question that we all face today, the question that, we, that James is asking, is that what kind of faith do we have? Do we have a real faith? Or do we have a fake faith? Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the letter of James. And Ming helped us understand last week that faith and works us. Uh, Sorry, faith and favoritism, uh, they don't mix. Kind of like oil and water, they don't go together. And so James continues on, and he's helping us understand that actually faith and works, they're inseparable. And so uh, he's saying that you can't, you can't have one without the other. You can't have real faith that doesn't show itself uh, in works. But the question is, what is faith? And what are works? We throw around these words a lot, especially in Christian circles. Uh, so many times I've heard Christians say, uh, you know, especially, you know, you're having an argument with them about the things in Christian matters, and they don't know the answer, so they end up saying, oh, you just got to have faith. You just got to have faith, bro. Um, and, and so Christians, they can kind of get, end up getting labeled as uh, the, the type that when you turn up to church, that you've got to leave, you know, you see the little sign that says, leave your shoes and your brain at the door. Um, <laughs> and so this, this kind of idea of faith, it's more of a, a, a blind faith. 
Blind faith requires no basis for belief, uh, no evidence that something is worth trusting, and it means trusting in something without any reason, and sometimes even trusting something when it defies reason. Faith, as we read in the Bible, and as we understand it in culture today, uh, it's a bit different. It's not like this. Um, We express faith, actually, every time we get on a bus. Now, you can imagine uh, Auckland Transport, the buses aren't, you know, always on time, but when the bus does come, you express faith when you get on the bus, because you don't know the bus driver, whether uh, he's a real bus driver or not. Uh, It could be a fake bus with a fake AT signs on it and, and all that. Um, but, you know, there's people on the bus, you look at the bus driver, they all seems legit. And so it's actually, it's, it's not just faith just to think, oh yeah, that's a legit bus. It's actually faith to step on the bus. And so throughout the scriptures, we have recorded for us hundreds of reasons to trust God, to put our faith in him. Now I need to be clear here, there's no harm in investigating the things of Jesus. Uh, to pour over the Bible and to see why God is worth trusting and weighing the evidence. Um, It's not a lack of faith to use reason to work this all out. In fact, Paul actually encourages us to do this in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, verse 6. Uh, He he tells the recipients uh, of the letter uh, that there are over 500 people alive at that time that have seen Jesus, seen Jesus alive, resurrected. And he says, go, go. Like, go talk to them. They, they've seen Jesus, and Jesus is alive today. Like, go and see the evidence for yourself. And so he's helping the Corinthians understand, you know, that we can trust him. And so I don't know if you've seen as well. Sometimes you, you meet people, and they say that faith and reason, that they don't go together. Uh, they say that blind faith is this kind of pure form of faith, um, that it's superior to evidential faith. And, but as we read in the Bible, Jesus actually had a high regard for evidence. In John 14, 11, uh, he told those watching him to examine the evidence of his works, uh, to see if his works matched up with what the promised king uh, would, would do. And he said the same thing to John the Baptist uh, when he asked who he was. He said, look at my works. And then he quoted, uh, he quoted Isaiah 41, showing the works the Messiah would do. And so in the same way, we can investigate the things of God. We can test the waters. And after doing this, we can then more confidently put our faith in God and obey him. We then step on the bus. Faith, when applied to Christianity, uh, just means trusting God's word. So we've covered, we've covered faith. How about works? What is work? Well, you know, for, for, for a good portion of us, it's nine to five. That's work, right? Is James talking about going to work? Uh, I don't think that's what he's talking about. Uh, he's saying the, the word he uses here in the Greek, it's called ergon, uh, which is defined as that which displays itself in activity of any kind, deed, or action. So what does that mean? It means actually doing stuff. Uh, just like when you're at work, you know, you're meant to be doing stuff, or, you know, you should be doing stuff. <laughs> um, but that's, that's how we're going to define it today. Works are doing stuff. And in particular, doing good deeds. So this brings us to kind of the big idea of the passage. What is, what is James talking about? What's he trying to argue in this passage? And so the big idea is this. 
Faith without works is dead. And so if you look at verse 17, uh, James chapter 2, verse 17, hopefully it should be up on the screen, uh, it says this, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. In other words, if you claim to trust in Jesus, but you don't do anything about it, uh, your faith is actually is useless. It's worthless. It's of no value. He actually even says that. If you have a look at verse 20, that's literally what James says. He says, senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Now, if I'm honest with you, uh, I hear those words and I'm like, okay, sweet. Uh, I, I, I know that I trust in God. I just need to know, I need to work out what works I need to do uh, in order to be saved. And so um, I've got my pen and paper ready. James, James, what have I got to do? And I know I believe in God, but, you know, what works do I need to add to it? And I wonder if you maybe feel the same. Um, I probably just need, maybe if I just read God's word more, maybe if I pray more, maybe if I give more, then hopefully uh, that'll get me through. But that's not what James is saying. Hear me now, that is not what James is saying. Uh, He's not saying faith plus works equals salvation. He's not saying that at all. If he's saying that, then then Jesus' death on the cross means nothing. It means that the gospel is pointless. So because of this, James must be saying something else. James knows that faith alone saves us. Faith alone saves us. However, James is arguing that it is a certain kind of faith that saves us. It's a faith that overflows with good works. The the works don't save us, and nor do faith plus works. But the kind of faith that produces good works is a kind of faith that saves. If you walk out today thinking that the passage uh, says faith plus works equals salvation, then hear me now, James is not saying that. James is warning us against dead faith. So what is dead faith? That's what we're going to dive into next. What's James talking about? What is this dead faith? He gives us two examples. Uh, Let's dive into the passage. First off, James says that dead faith simply looks like one without works. Have a look at James uh, chapter 2, verse 14 to 16. He says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. James is using a really helpful analogy here. Its implication is that so empty words... Uh, they don't help the situation. In the same way, faith without works is useless. So empty words are pointless. Faith without works is pointless. And so now, of course, if we come across someone in that kind of situation, then yes, we should do all that we can to try and love them, to try and work out how we can help them, someone who is in that kind of situation. But the main point that James is trying to make is that empty words are useless, and so are faith without works. A faith that doesn't show itself in loving God and loving others, uh, however imperfectly that might be, that kind of faith is actually dead. It's rotten. It's, it's actually putrid. And so uh, I want you to imagine with me for a second a tree. 
Now, this, this kind of tree, it is, it's, it's an apple tree, and it's, it's got a great big trunk, it's got branches, it's, it's a very impressive looking tree. But there's only one thing wrong with it, uh, it has no leaves, it has no apples. And so as year, year after year goes by, no apples are made, no leaves grow, and we start to see that there's actually there's something wrong with this tree. Now, how would you fix a tree like that? Would you, you know, maybe grab some staples and staple some leaves to the, you know, to the branches? Would you maybe, like, get some super glue to attach some, some apples to the tree? Would, would that fix the tree? No, it wouldn't fix the tree. A tree like that is dead. A tree like that, it's, it's rotten, and there's, there's something wrong with its root. So so it is with faith. A faith that isn't evidencing itself with fruit is a faith that is dead. And so um, real living faith, it's not like this. Living faith is one that is useful. Living faith shows genuine fruit, that your trust in Jesus actually changes the way that you live your life. Uh, It produces fruit. And so, but what does this fruit look like? What does this fruit look like? Um, Galatians actually helps us here. Uh, Paul writes his letter to the Galatians. Galatians 5, 22 to 25. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the flesh, the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So what, what we see here is that the person who belongs to Jesus, uh, who trusts in, in Jesus as uh, their Savior and Lord, who's filled with the Spirit of God, they actually look different to the world around them. It's not like the old dead apple tree, uh, but instead a person whose life is producing fruit. They look like a person that is filled with love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and and even self-control. That's the kind of person uh, that produces good fruit. But the trap is that we try and staple, we're trying to staple, you know, good works uh, onto onto the faith, but the faith is dead, and so it's not going to help anything. It's not going to do anything. So what James is trying to show us is that good works naturally flow out of living faith. Uh, it's actually really hard to, I don't know if, you, if you've noticed, it's actually really hard to hide lots of good works. And so the answer, what is the answer here? The answer isn't just to try harder. The answer instead is to look to Jesus. Jesus, the root of our faith. And as we look to him, we see that he's just amazing. He's, he's so caring. He's more loving. He's more forgiving, he's more pleasurable than, he's more understanding than anyone or anything in this world. And so we see that when we fall in love with Jesus, and then that helps bring, that's, if he's the root, then that will produce a living faith. Uh, Jesus at the same time, even though he's all those things, he's also, he's the creator and sustainer of the universe. And by his word, he holds all things together and he cares about you. He cares about you today. He's in full control. He's sovereign, and he cares for you. So the next example James uses here of dead faith uh, is a faith that is all knowledge 
and no love. Faith that is all knowledge and no love. Uh, have a look at James chapter 2, verse 18 to 19. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. James here at this point, he brings in an antagonist, this kind of opponent, opponent to his argument. This opponent is saying uh, faith and works, you know, you can, you can, they're separate. You can pull them apart. James says, no, you're wrong. Faith and works are inseparable. He says, even the demons believe and they shudder. These demons, they, they believe in God. They acknowledge he exists. But their knowledge of God, it doesn't transfer into them serving God. They actually shudder and they run. And so that's exactly what happens uh, when, in the Gospels when Jesus meets the demons. He meets people possessed by demons. And in Matthew chapter 8, we see them say, the demons say, What do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? These demons, they're petrified. But the thing is, some of us, some of us believe, but show no fruit. And James is saying, that's actually, that's actually worse than the demons, because at least the demons are afraid. They, they, they shudder, they tremble. So these are some hard-hitting verses. The demons, they're, they're all knowledge, but they're no love. And uh, they don't do good works. And so what James says is this. You can have an intellectual belief about God, uh, but a belief that isn't alive, doesn't produce good fruit. James is telling us today that intellectual belief alone, that is not salvation. Salvation isn't just from having uh, an intellectual belief or an assent of God. That may be called faith, but it is not real faith. It's like that conversation in the supermarket. Uh, The words are great, but they're not followed up with action. It's fake faith. James says that it's dead faith. When I first joined up the Air Force, um, I, I used to be in the Air Force before doing, um, doing an apprenticeship, and when I first joined up, I had to do this thing called a recruit course. Now, this course is to, it's literally designed to uh, break you down and then build you up into the person that they want you to be. And so this one weekend, uh, they gave us this webbing, which is kind of like this belt that goes around your waist, and you can attach uh, pouches to it. And in the pouches are everything that you need to do combat. So it's got like ammo pouches and water canteens and stuff like that. And so we got asked over this particular weekend to put it together. And, uh, and I didn't do it. And so Monday morning rolls in. Uh, the corporal's walking up and down the, the dorm. It's absolute silence. We're all standing at attention. And the corporal walks along and he's looking at everyone's webbing. And he looks at my webbing. Gal, what's, uh, there's something wrong with your webbing. Did you, did you put that together? Uh, no corporal. Oh, interesting. Why didn't you put it together? Well, uh, didn't have enough time, corporal. Didn't have enough time, eh? Hmm. These guys all had time. These guys all put their webbing together. Why didn't you put your webbing together? Do you think webbing is important, gal? And, uh, and I replied, oh, yes, corporal, I, I think it's really important. But you didn't put your webbing together. Gal, is, do you think webbing's important? No, Corporal. Ah, oh. <laughs> oh, you don't think webbing's important? 
let, let me show you how important webbing is. Come with me, gal. Come on, come on. And so he takes me outside. It's in Blenheim. It's the, it's the hot 30-degree sun. And he goes, all right, gal, here, hold this. And he's handing me canteens and, and ammo pouches and all these other knickknacks. And he hands me the webbing. He hands me a rifle as well. And I'm trying to hold all this stuff. And there's stuff flying everywhere. It's all falling on the ground. And he's like, all right, gal, get down. Someone's firing at you. Get down on the ground. And so I'm on the ground. I'm on my belly. And there's just stuff like just flying everywhere. And he's like, you need to get over there. That's where safety is. And it's like, you know, 400 meters away. And I don't know if you've ever tried to crawl on your belly for 400 meters in 30 degree heat. But I was probably out there for like two hours, like trying to grab all my stuff. And I guess what I learned that day is that, well, firstly, I learned that webbing was important. <laughs> But, what, what I, but more what I learned is that uh, just saying that something is great, saying, saying that something is important, it's not, it's not good enough. It has to be followed up with action. I didn't truly believe webbing was important uh, until, until I learned that lesson. And so uh, James, he's, he's saying the same thing. Belief must come with action. Uh, it's... Real faith, living faith, is one that actually obeys God, uh, one that depends on God. And that's where we're heading next. Uh, We've seen what faith and works are. We've seen what dead faith looks like. And now James turns uh, to what living faith looks like. Uh, We'll see that real living faith is a kind of faith that is dependent on God. uh, James has two examples for us. He has Abraham and Rahab. So let's have a look at Abraham first. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 20 to 24. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. I don't know if you guys remember Abraham. We looked at, as a church, we looked at, um, in Genesis, we looked at the story of um, Abraham in term two. And we saw that God made these huge promises to Abraham. He promised that through Abraham, the whole world would be blessed. And uh, that he would have many descendants in, in a great land. Um, but the only problem was when God gave these promises to Abraham, Abraham and Sarah were really old, like, Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65. These guys, well, might not be that old, um, but they, 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 they were pretty old. And I don't know if you've ever heard of a 75 and 65-year-old having a baby. Um, but that's, that's the promise that, that came to them. And so Abraham believed. Um, and 25 years later, God did miraculously provide them with a son. Uh, and Abraham, he depended on God. He believed in God, so much so that even a few years later, uh, we see in Genesis 22 that um, God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, uh, to put him to death. And now, and Abraham knows that everything, this promise lies on the son, and so he doesn't know what's going to happen, but he trusted in the God that did know what was going to happen. And so uh, Abraham, just before he's about to kill his son, uh, God stops him. And uh, we, we see that Abraham has a living faith. He sees, we see a faith that is dependent on God. He was willing to sacrifice his only son to show his faith in action. 
And despite all of God's promises resting on Isaac, Abraham didn't know what was going to happen, but God did. And we just see this great example of living faith that James paints for us. Um, the second example of living faith is Rahab. Now, a lot, you know, I don't know about you, but like, a lot of people don't know much about Rahab. Um, I think it's really cool that Rahab is in this passage. Um, Rahab, she was, she was a prostitute. And definitely, like, you probably wouldn't expect her to be one to be uh, described as an example of, li- of living faith. But that's what James does here. Uh, have a look at the passage. Uh, verse 25. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messages and sending them out by a different route? Now, you can read about Rahab in the book of Joshua, um, chapters 2 and chapter 6. And we see there that some Israelites, they come uh, to, the, to scout the land, uh, a couple of spies to come and check out what the land's like before uh, they inherit the land that's been promised to them. And Rahab sees that uh, these people, they're God's people. And because she had a, had a faith, a living faith, uh, she decided to give refuge to God's people. Even though it went against her people, her family, her reputation, uh, she decided to believe the Israelites and fear that their God uh, was the one true God uh, rather than fearing man. And so these two examples are people who took God's word seriously. They trusted God. And uh, as we look now at the full Bible that we now have, how many more reasons do we have to trust God? Um, We have the whole unfolding plan that leads uh, into the story of Jesus, uh, the life of Jesus. And so we just have, we have so many more reasons to trust God. And, but it can be scary to trust. When I was, um, it was kind of like when I was five, I was riding, I was learning how to ride a bicycle. And I knew that bicycles are great. They get you places fast. I knew that it's a good thing to ride a bicycle, um, but it's terrifying because, you know, you fall off and you hurt yourself and, and you cry a lot and, and, you know, you graze yourself. Um, but my dad, he was teaching me how to ride this bicycle. And I trusted him. I trusted that uh, even though this was hard and it was scary, I trusted that this was good for me. And eventually, uh, with his patience and persistence, um, I learned how to ride this bicycle. And so I just really, you really see it's the same with trusting God. It can be really scary to trust him. It can be really scary to obey him. But when you look to Jesus, when you look to Jesus, the root of our faith, um, you see that when we trust in him, it produces fruit. And we have so many reasons to put our faith in God. And even though Rahab and Abraham, they didn't know much about God, uh, they had a faith that resulted in action. Abraham was prepared to sacrifice his son, Um, Rahab, even though she would have found it really hard to trust people, she decided to trust these people and to trust God. And all she asked, um, even though she was putting her life on the line, all she asked for was uh, for them to remember her when they come. And God did remember her. We see in Matthew Matthew 1 uh, the genealogy of Jesus. And in that genealogy, we see that Abraham, sorry, Rahab is Jesus' great, 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 great grandmother. And so through Rahab, the saviour of the world comes. Jesus brings salvation. And through him, we can all be saved by having the same faith, by putting the same trust in God's promises. And so as I see these two people, I'm really challenged. 
I start to think, you know, how does trusting Jesus play out in my life? What, am I, what sacrifices am I willing to make um, to, to follow God, to trust him? Um, it's all well and good to say that we believe, but true sacrifice actually shows our belief. The true action shows that we trust God's son. And Abraham, he was captivated by God. Rahab was so overwhelmed by uh, the true and living God that she risked everything. And, but when your eyes are fixed uh, on God, um, you can see that overflow into your life uh, with fruit. You can tell that it makes a difference. So remember, we can't just tack on leaves and fruit onto a dead faith and pretend that our faith is alive. Uh, the root produces the fruit. James ends with this final thought, summing up his argument. Have a look at James chapter 2, 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Like the apple tree, a faith that produces works is good and it's living. But a kind of faith that is without works is dead to the core. And so what you do with your life, says James, that shows what you really believe in your heart. John the Baptist says some challenging words to the Jews uh, in Luke chapter 3, verse 8 to 9. Uh, John the Baptist says this, Produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. God isn't trying to make your life miserable from, with all these rules. Actually, what God invites us, in, invites us into is the most rich life imaginable, the most full life imaginable. And it's kind of like my, my wife, Ash. Uh, Ash is down here. She's, she's fantastic. I, lo- I love her. And I continually try to show her with my, with my actions, like with my deeds. And so because I love her, um, I try and do nice things for her. We try to go out for date nights. And, and I try to put my, lay my life down for her. And it's the same thing with God. If we, if we love God, then show him with your good deeds. Show him that you really love him. Look to Christ, though. He is the answer. Because when we look to Christ, he is far better than any person we can imagine. It's even better than Ash. And she's pretty great. Um, but Jesus, he's the most patient. He's the most loving. He's the most self-sacrificial person that we can ever know. So much so that he actually gave his life for you so that you could know his father and be saved. Come and see Come and see Jesus. If you, if you don't know Jesus today, uh, come and see. He is so worthy, worth trusting with your life. We have so many reasons to love him, how, however imperfectly that love might be. So there is no list of things to do. You can put your list away. There is no list of things to do. There's only one thing to remember. Root your faith in Jesus. Let Jesus shape you and mold you and grow you, and comfort you. Let Jesus be the root of your whole faith, and fall in love with him. For we see that he is good, and with that comes a faith that trusts God, a faith that overflows with good works, a faith that 
loves God. It shows itself by loving God and loving others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this uh, challenging word today. We really ask that as we go about our lives, as we learn about you, that we would actually love you with our whole lives. And that as we love you and get to know you better, we really ask that that would overflow into every corner of our lives, that we would be filled with good works, works that show our faith and show that our root is in your son, Jesus. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and sing now and sing about that we were once lost in darkest night. We thought we knew the way, but Jesus came and he showed us uh, what life is all about. So how about we stand and sing uh, in response to what we've heard and reminding one another uh, about this awesome truth. Let's stand and sing. Mm -hmm.